just about at 9.30, so we will go ahead and get started. This is uh, the series we're doing is The Law of God, and today we are going to consider the preface to the Ten Commandments and the First Commandment. Um, I will tell you up front, I was only assigned the First Commandment, but I assigned myself the preface as well, because I think it's important, so we'll talk about that, we'll talk about the First Commandment. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll walk through the outline, and then get started. Our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are, and for what you have done for us. Thank you that you have brought us near to you, you have given us access to your throne, through the blood of your Son, Christ, and the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this morning, this opportunity that we have to study your word, study the larger catechism, and see what uh, the preface to your moral law and what the first commandment can teach us about you, teach us about Christ, teach us about ourselves, and our response to who we are, who you are, and what you have done for us. pray that in all this time that the, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you and edifying to each other. Probably these things, in Jesus' name, through your spirit. Amen. Okay, so uh, our question to consider here, uh, we're not going to talk about it yet. I want you to keep this in mind as we go throughout the lesson, and then we'll answer it at the, uh, at the end of the lesson. So the question is, it's a two-part question. Can we see Christ in the Ten Commandments? That's the first part. The second part, a little more tricky. It's not just a yes or no question. So if so, if yes, then how and where? And if not, then why not? Okay, so keep that in your mind. We're going to go through some review. Uh, and then there's a large chunk there uh, that is the Westminster Larger Catechism. So this is the way I've structured my lesson. I don't know how uh, other elders are going to do their lessons on the individual commandments. But if you didn't know then now, now you soon will know. Uh, the larger catechism has a huge section, I think it's like 60 or so questions of um, questions and answers on the Ten Commandments in general and each of the Ten Commandments. So we're going to go through uh, questions 98 to 106. Those are the questions that deal with uh, the Ten Commandments in general and then the preface and the First Commandment. Uh, we're not going to just read the question and then read the answer. Although I think that would be a fruitful lesson, um, you guys can and should go back and read the answers on your own. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the question, we'll talk about it, have some other stuff, uh, other you know quotes and scripture uh, readings to support our answers, and we'll just kind of talk about it uh, ourselves. Does that make sense? Everybody good with that? All right, so let's uh, start off with some review. So this is the fourth lesson um, in this series. The first lesson was, uh, what is the law of God? So somebody give me an answer to that question. What is the law of God? I asked the same question two weeks ago, and the same answers can be used. And just like two weeks ago, you can either describe the law of God or you can give me an example of the law of God, or you can give me a definition of the law of God. Any and all of those are acceptable. 
how we should connect with God and each other. How we should connect with God and each other? Okay, good. Other answers? When you say connect with God, um, what do you mean by that? How you interact, how you respond, what we are to do um, in response to his instructions, how we are to interact with each other as far as our behavior, our thoughts, our actions. Okay, good. Other answers. So, so somebody give me an example. As uh, in general, or a specific, a specific, specific example, like the Ten Commandments is a, a given law. Uh, yep. Okay, so the Ten Commandments are what? This is kind of getting into the second review question, but what category of law would we call the Ten Commandments? Uh, moral law. Moral law. Okay. So yeah, we'll we'll just go ahead and move there now. So there are three different types of biblical law. We talked about that two weeks ago. So we have moral. We also have. Civil. Civil or judicial, yeah. And then the third? Ceremonial. Ceremonial, okay. So uh, ceremonial, judicial, moral. How do they differ? I said now. I think that's kind of a confusing uh, way to put that question. But in our time, at the, the time of the Church of Christ, not uh, the time of the, the Church of the Old Testament, how, how do those three types of biblical law differ? The moral laws for everyone. Mm -hmm. The judicial or law is for the leaders of the people. And the ceremonial law, I would guess, would be for the priests. Okay. To work the Lord for for the people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the moral law is, is binding on all people. <clears throat> In the Old Testament uh, administration of the covenant, the the judicial law, yes, it, it, it they were specific laws for the um, ordering of God's uh, theocratic government in Israel, and the ceremonial law governs uh, sacrifices, stuff like that. Yep, good. Uh, what about now? What about in the Church of Christ? Okay, ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ in his once-for-all sacrifice. The judicial law uh, is relevant to us in the, uh, the general equity, mm -hmm. equity of it and how it applies today. So for civil law. Yep, yep, the civil law, uh, the general equity, the principles behind the civil or the judicial law, um, they are to guide us. So the general equity is the... Uh, the language that the confession uses uh, for the, the judicial law. But the moral law is still binding on all people, right? Uh, believers and unbelievers. And then last week, Pastor Mock talked about the three uses of the law. Um, what are the three uses? As uh, a schoolmaster or teacher. Mm -hmm. Okay, as a pedagogical um, Use and what is that? What is the function of that use of the law? Um, to uh, show us our sin, to bring us to Christ. Yep, good. What is the second use of the law? 
doesn't have to necessarily be in, in any order, but okay. So the pedagogical. I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. To restrain evil. Yep, restraining uh, power of the law. Um, the law has been the moral law has been implanted on our hearts and minds, and it has a restraining power. Good. And then the third use of the law. Yep, rule of life. So uh, this is question 97 in the large catechism. It's not on here because that was last week. But um, the, the catechism, the, the Westminster Divines talk about the, there's a special use of the moral law to the regenerate, to believers. So although we are delivered from the moral law as a covenant of works, and we're not justified or condemned by it, um, it is of special use to show us First of all, how much we are bound to Christ, because Christ is the only one who perfectly fulfilled all three uh, types of law, but particularly here we're thinking about the moral law. <clears throat> he fulfilled it, he endured the curse uh, for us, so we're bound to him in thankfulness, and also, uh, like Paul said, as a rule of life, this is how we should live in light of the moral law. Okay, so now we're moving into... Uh, the, the Ten Commandments specifically. So we talked about the uh, general definitions of the law of God. We talked about the three types. We talked about the three uses. Now we're honing in on the moral law specifically. So question 98, you have it there. Where is the moral law summarily comprehended? <coughs> the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, good. There's a good quote here. Um, from Augustine, he said the, the Ten Commandments are a harp of ten strings on which we can make beautiful music to God. Um, Psalm 144, verse 9 is, is, is a reference there for that. Um, the, the divines also point out that there's kind of within the moral law, within the Ten Commandments, there are two tables. You guys have heard the, the first table of the law, the second table of the law. What are the two tables and what do they concern? See, the first table is our duty to God, and the second, our duty to our fellow man. Yep, yep. So the first four commandments contain our duty to God, and the other six, our duty to man. Good. Okay, so question 99 says, what rules are to be observed for the right understanding of the Ten Commandments? Did I print those? I didn't print those. Words. Okay, all right. I would highly encourage you guys to look those up in, uh, in the, the catechism. There are eight rules. Again, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going, to, I'm going to zoom in on three or four of them. But it's definitely worth looking at. So these are sort of our, our guides as we're reading the law of God, how we can interpret them, how we can apply them to our lives. Um, the first one uh, is uh, the, the first rule that the, the divines point out is that the law is perfect and binding on everyone. Okay? Uh, the second one is that the law is spiritual, and so it's not just actions, but it's also understanding, will, affections, powers of the soul, in addition to words, works, and gestures. So uh, the moral law isn't just binding on what we do or do not do. It's also binding on what we say, what we feel, what we love or hate. Um, the fourth rule... This is another one I'm going to zoom in on. Um, and you'll see this is 
if you go through the larger catechism, the questions on the, the Ten Commandments, you'll see, um, for instance, um, you know, the, the, the third commandment um, is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? So that's a, that's a negative, you know, don't do this. But there, in the, um, in the catechism, there's a question like, what is required? So there's, even though it's a negative commandment, the question says, what, what are the positive duties required? So the fourth rule states that where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden. So if there's a positive command, there are also sins that are forbidden. In the same way, where a sin is forbidden, like don't take the name of the Lord, I got in vain, the contrary duty is commanded. Similarly, if there's a promise uh, given, the contrary threatening is included, and where a threatening is included, the contrary promise is also included. So this gives us, uh, I think this goes along with number two, that these are not just, um, these are not super specific to where you can obey uh, the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. What, what, what the divines are saying here is that um, it's, it's kind of all-encompassing. Number six, the sixth rule, uh, they say that under one sin or duty, all of the same kind are forbidden or commanded, together with all the causes, means, occasions, and appearances thereof, and provocations thereunto. Again, There's no way out. Correct. <laughs> correct. Um, it's not just, and, and this kind of goes to uh, concupiscence. I don't know if you guys have been following the, um, the revoice stuff. The uh, Roman Catholic doctrine of concupiscence is that um, the motions of sin are not in themselves sinful, but the, the actual sin is what is sinful. What the divines are here saying is that it's not just the end result. It's everything that leads up to it is also sinful. Okay? And then seven and eight... Um, these go to highlight um, that if, if there's something that we're forbidden to do negatively or that we're commanded to do positively, uh, we are also bound to help other people either fulfill the duty or avoid the sin. Okay, so that's question 99. Again, I, I highly encourage you guys to go through and look at those um, because they're, they're very enlightening. All right, question 100. This is a little bit easier. Um, what special things are we to consider in the Ten Commandments? There are three, three things that the divines want us to consider in the Ten Commandments. What do you think? Um, the preface, the substance of the commandments themselves, and several readings, or reasons annexed to some of them. Yes, good. Um, that's another, uh, Casey brings up a good point. If you have the, the catechism and you, you can look at it, I'm not, it's not like cheating to, to, to tell me what they said. But I, I might ask you to explain uh, what that means. So uh, the preface, which is why I included it in my lesson, the substance and the reasons annexed to them. So first we're going to consider the preface. So uh, what is the preface to the Ten Commandments? Uh, 
Okay, that's, um, that's like a description of the Ten Commandments. The preface is its own thing in the Ten, the Ten Commandments. So before the first commandment, there's a, a preface. Yes, out of the house of bondage. Okay, so that's the preface. Kind of an interesting historical detail. Um, different traditions number the Ten Commandments differently. Um, it's something that I learned when I read through uh, Reform Systematic Theology, Volume 3, which a lot of the quotes that I'll, I'll tell you here are from that. Um, but not everybody numbers the Ten Commandments the same. There are reasons that the Reformed uh, tradition numbers it the way that we do, um, and I think there are good, good reasons, but kind of interesting. But the preface is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So why is that important? Why is it important that that is the preface? Or try and word that better. What is important about the preface of the Ten Commandments? Okay, it establishes authority. Okay, so um, Dr. Joel Beakey in Reform Systematic Theology says there are three bases upon which the, the preface grounds our motivation for obedience to the law. So uh, one is authority. Uh, it's because God is sovereign and faithful Lord over all of his creation. So we are bound to obey his law as revealed to us in the Ten Commandments because he is God. Okay? There are two other ones. What do you think? Two other bases, uh, not bases, but bases upon which uh, we are grounded, or our motivation to obey the law is grounded. God's deliverance. Okay, God's deliverance. Okay, so deliverance from what? The house of bondage. House of bondage. Okay, so thinking about this, like historically, the, the history of, of salvation, God is giving this to the Israelites, and what have they just been delivered from? Slavery, Slavery in, in Egypt, right? The house of bondage. So God delivered them. It's an act of mercy, right? An act of grace. And because of that grace, they are bound to obey his commandments. There's one more. One more ground for obedience. And it's a it's a let's see, personal possessive pronoun. Well, that nice. but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's because God is good to them, and so He's giving mm -hmm. them a good law. So, like your father gives you rules in a house, it's for your benefit to obey them. Okay. Good. That I would I would subsume that under the first one uh, because God is the sovereign Lord. He has authority. He knows what right and wrong is. If He's giving us a law, it is for our good. Um, so you're not wrong, but it's not quite what I was looking for. He is our God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Good. So what would we call this? That that God is. Israel's God in the Old Testament and is our God. What branch of theology would we place that under? Kind of a confusing way of wording that. 
Adoption, okay, yes. Uh, adoption is a part of this kind of theology. I think Harry actually taught a, a class on it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I would say covenant theology, right? Because God is our covenant Lord. We are his covenant people. So yes, the, the personal possessive pronoun, your, uh, I am your God. You are my people. So uh, John Calvin says, uh, he, meaning God, of course, holds out the promise of grace to draw them by its sweetness to a zeal for holiness. So these are three bases upon which uh, our motivation to keep, to keep the law are, is grounded. Um, he is the sovereign Lord, he is our covenant Lord, and he is a gracious Lord. Okay. Now these grounds for obedience also foreshadow, or, or, if we put ourselves in the time, the, the history of salvation where uh, Moses is, uh, God is giving the law to Moses, Moses is uh, delivering it to the people, these, uh, this preface foreshadows the great work of salvation in Christ. How does it do that? Well, God, I mean, Christ brought us out of the land of bondage to sin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, the deliverance from Egypt was a real, true deliverance, right? They were actually in slavery, and they were actually delivered. Uh, but it was a type of our deliverance, uh, of ultimate deliverance from sin, slavery to sin, bondage to sin. Uh, Dr. J.V. Fesco, he has a, a good quote here. He's saying, if you rewrote the prologue, which you shouldn't do, but... If you were to restate the prologue, and, and to, to put it in our historical context, and by that I don't mean like America in uh, the 2000s, I mean um, where we are in the history of salvation, you would say, you might state it as, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So that gets at that third base um, for uh, motivation for obedience because God saved us out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Thomas Boston, a uh, uh, Christian theologian, he said, all men are obliged to keep these commandments for God is Lord of all. That's what we talked about, right? Uh, because God is the sovereign and because these are his laws, everyone is obliged to keep the laws. But the saints, believers especially, for besides being their Lord, he is their God and Redeemer too. So we have a special uh, motivation for obeying the law of God if we are believers. Not only are we required to because he is sovereign Lord, but he is our God and he is our Redeemer as well. Similar, um, I'm sure you all keep all obey all you know traffic laws and, and laws like that because it's the right thing to do. But when you were a child, if, uh, if your mother or father told you to do something or not to do something, you had a, a special, or you should have had a special motivation to obey them because they are your father or your mother. And then there's this really, really great quote from a, a guy named Ebenezer Erskine. I'm going to read this in full. It's, it's a little bit long, but I think it's, it's really, really great. It says, 
these words, I am the Lord your God, the Lord thy God, the preface, contain the leading promise of the covenant of grace. And there is more in them than heart can conceive or tongue express. For here is an infinite God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, making over himself in two or three words the man upon earth. Oh, what can he give more than himself? And what will he not give when he gives himself? So God in the preface is giving himself to his people, and that points to the uh, amazing blessings that we receive from God. So certainly we should be motivated to, uh, to keep the Ten Commandments because of who God is and what he has done for us. Yes? Or maybe even going a little bit further and saying just beyond motivation, just you know, what it's like to be a Christian in the battles of life, in the trenches. Um, beyond just motivation, it's, there's an accomplished fact, mm -hmm. right? There's a reality that's reflected. It's not just that we're motivated. There's a new reality. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of the beloved Son, what He has done for us. So what that means for us in our struggles is that when we're facing our besetting sin, whatever it may be, we all have them, that we can let rest on the fact of what Christ has done, that this sin does not control me. Mm -hmm. Satan does not have power over me. Mm -hmm. That is a reality that is a life of Yeah, great. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course. So I think, uh, I love this, and I think whenever we think about the Ten Commandments, I'm guilty of this as well. You know, we go straight to the first one, you know, and just think about that, and we forget this preamble uh, to the Ten Commandments. And if you think about it historically, I mean, they 400 years they were uh, in Egypt under slavery. So all that they knew was slavery. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, this bondage, Pharaoh was a taskmaster, you know, just driving, driving. So that the Lord would call them out to Sinai, in order to worship him was significant. Uh, obviously, we know some Israel's complaining, etc., uh, in the midst of that. But that preamble uh, is so important, you know. And, and I think this side of Jesus as well. Um, again, I'm guilty of this. We often just go to the rules. Uh, to some extent, what you know, Harry is saying is, we go to the rules like we should do this, we should do this. I just need to obey because God is authority uh, and those sorts of things we often forget that he called us he brought us out of those things to be in relationship and that's the, the driver and the motivation uh, yes the rules are important uh, they still come from his authority uh, but I think yeah, when we approach this we, we got to think it's for relationship it's for love yeah. that he did this uh, which echoes uh, the garden, what was established in the Garden of Eden. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, great, thank and yet, you. And I completely agree, but then I'm also thinking when Christ said, If you love me, I mean, well, what, where does it say? If you love me, obey, obey, yeah, obey my love. So, that's, that's our yes, we want to be in a relationship with God, and yes, we have the new nature and the new birth, and we're fundamentally changed, but. The way we show love. God that we love Him is to keep those rules in mind and to try to conform. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a really good volleyball. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they absolutely are. I, I just think the human nature is like, you know, rules-based, uh, and we have to remember the, the reason for that. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and this kind of goes back to, the, I think it's question 97. Um, we're, not, we're not justified or condemned by the law, by, by our adherence to the moral law, uh, if we are new, new creatures in Christ. Um, but because Christ kept the moral law perfectly, we are enabled to, and we are assisted by the Holy Spirit and the intercession and mediation of Christ to obey the Ten Commandments. Obviously not perfectly. And that's where um, the law as a mirror to show us uh, our sin comes in. But yeah, definitely. Um, we obey the law because, uh, because of who God is. We obey the law because what he did for us in Christ and we obey the law because of who we now are as new creatures in Christ. Good, thanks guys. Um, question 102 is, uh, what is the sum of the four commandments which contain our duty to God? So we already, um, we already talked about the first table of the law, uh, the first four commandments, but what is the summary of the first table of the law? I mean, Jesus Yes, absolutely. So, um, what they're getting at here is is that the, the the two great commandments, right? So, the first great commandment summarizes the first table of the law. The second great commandment summarizes the second table of the law. Okay. Now, you might think this is going to be an easy question, and. At first glance, it is. But what is the first commandment? So, tell me. It's not verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Yes, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, here's where, not tricky, but we're, we're going to go beyond what, uh, what the confession says, not, or the catechism says, not beyond in a, in a bad way, but just expound it upon it a little bit. So, how does the first commandment, what we just said, how does that relate to creation? Uh, establishing, we say establishing the creature-creator uh, relationship. Yep. Explain that a little bit. Um, I'm God, I'm not part of creation. Mm-hmm. Everything else is creation. Don't worship anything in creation. Okay, good. Um, the... Did Van Til coin creator-creature distinction, or is that? I think so. Okay. Well, Van Til, Cornelius Van Til at least um, talked about the creator-creature distinction a lot, I believe. So uh, that's kind of what you're talking about there, Paul. So um, God is Himself. Uh, talk about God's aseity. He is uh, self-contained. He doesn't need anything else outside of Himself. Everything else that's not God is creation. So there's the creator, there's the creature or creation, and there is a distinction between the two. Until um, talks about the, the absolute ethical uh, antithesis, right? Um, the, the distinction between creature, creator, and creature is not just, um, it's not a distinction of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
place. I'm sorry? Degrees. degrees. Yes, it's not a difference of degrees. It's not that we are one thing and God is just a lot more of that same thing. Right? <laughs> God is a separate thing. And the primary distinction between the creator and the creature after the fall is an ethical distinction. God is utterly holy and creatures, all of creation is tainted with sin. Okay. So there's the creator-creature distinction. Um, and Paul, you, I think you got at this, but can you, can you tell me again, what does that have to do with the, the first commandment? Yeah, right. So anything that's not God is not worthy of worship because it's not God, right? Um, so that includes uh, yourself. That includes other people. That includes uh, stuff. That includes um, even like principles that are not God. Um, anything else, if it's a person or a thing, that we elevate as God, that we worship as God, that we trust in as God, it's either, this is from Reform Systematic Theology, Volume 3, it's either a sheer fiction, we made it up, it doesn't exist, or it's a part of God's creation, and in either case, it's not due worship, right? It's an interesting question. If God, the Triune God, is the only true God, why does the law say don't have any other gods? Because of our sinful nature, we want to it's not necessarily just worshiping openly, consciously worshiping. It can also be the uh, what you put your all the efforts of your life into. To make money, mm -hmm. money becomes your god. Mm -hmm. To have power over people, that becomes your god. That's what you're blessing. That's what you're focusing your entire life on. Mm -hmm. Having only God means the focus of your life is upon the Lord. Nothing from that <clears throat> then He guides your life. So that you have a loving marital relationship, you have a loving relationship with your children, you have a, 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 a work relationship that works for you, that provides for you, and through that, those things, God provides the safety and security of your family, mm -hmm. for your health, wealth, and welfare, because you're giving that honor to God, yeah. instead of pursuing it on your yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in that. Uh, some of that we'll talk about uh, it, with the last question, uh, the words before me. Um, but absolutely, if we, um, what, one of my, my youth pastor when I was in high school, somewhat confusingly, uh, would say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's, that's a very confusing thing maybe to think about and, and to say, uh, but it is true. Uh, when you think about your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, if you place that above, uh, or, or you, 
worship that in any way that is due to God or you trust in that in any way that is due to God, not only will you, uh, are, are you sinning against God, but that relationship is not going to be um, as good as it could be. Um, if you put God first in your marriage, if you uh, pray for the strengthening of your relationship with Christ and your spouse's relationship with Christ, then your relationship with your spouse will grow stronger. Um, that's the, the, the three-fold uh, cord is not easily broken. There's a C.S. Lewis book, I think it's The Great Divorce. Um, um, it's not all great. <laughs> but there is some interesting stuff in there about like, like a woman who, uh, she loved her child so much, and you think, wow, that's great. A woman's supposed to love her child. But she loved her child more than she loved, like that was her God. And not only uh, was her relationship with God not what it should have been, but her relationship with her child, her child was miserable uh, because she was, you know, uh, holding on to him, um, you know, too tightly. Anyways, so yeah, um, yes. Go ahead. I just was thinking, um, do you think that it would be safe to say that there was also a practical reason behind this um, first commandment? Because, you know, they had spent 400 years in uh, Egypt where they worshipped other gods, little g, um, false gods and idols. And so they were coming out of that. And so, you know, this practical, like, now... You have been set apart. You are my people. These are the laws. You do not behave like those other nations. Yeah, absolutely. And and their way to the promised land went through a lot of other nations that worshipped a lot of other gods. Yeah. Um, there's um, we. I think sometimes we think about the first commandment as um, I think you, you alluded to this, Keith. Um, it's it's just uh, don't set up an idol. And you know, pray to that idol and sacrifice um, stuff to that idol, um, and that's true. That's we're not supposed to do that. So there, there's this guy, uh, Joachim Duma. I'm probably mispronouncing both of those names, but uh, he said people worship powerful forces within creation as if these were deities, and that's true. So you think back to lots of primitive religions, um, ancient religions, even some modern. Uh, versions of ancient religions and their paganism. paganism yeah, um, there's a lot of pagans in the army. I don't know why, but um, and there's yeah, and they get to grow a beard. Um, there's there's a statue of something and they're praying to it or they're worshiping it or they're sacrificing stuff to it, and that's that's true. But there's another dimension too. Um, it's not just these um, what what some people would call like a primitive religious society. It's also modern secular societies. And he lists some things that uh, can be absolutized or worshipped. The erotic, the desire for power, reason, nature, tradition, and conscience. So these are also things that in a secular society can and are worshipped. We're not bowing down necessarily. We're not uh, sacrificing animals or people to them um, in a, in, in a literal sense, that you might sacrifice uh, time with the, uh, your life. Yeah, yeah, your time with your family. Your other Absolutely. So it's not just the, the physical, visible form, but it's also um, these, these ideals. Yes? 
So Exodus 12, 12, Caesar, remember, there's just two 12s. Uh, that's how I've been able to get it. Exodus 12, 12, God tells us, this, so this background behind uh, chapter 28 here, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Lord. The plagues were against the various gods of Egypt. God demonstrating that he is the Lord. And there were so many false gods that Israel would, could be tempted to uh, play around with and to depend on. And even Pharaoh himself is seen as a deity. So the Lord, through this command, is saying, Hey, Pharaoh seems like you know, an excellent provider, powerful man. He's actually not your God. I'm the Lord. I'm the God. And you know, it doesn't have to be a Pharaoh. It could be anything else that we, as we've already been talking about that we would depend upon for those things that we need, you know, provision and other things. And the Lord, through this command, is reminding us that we depend upon him and him alone. I did not realize that every plague was directed towards a specific Egyptian god. Huh. Mm -hmm. And we see that comes up again since with Nebuchadnezzar when he throws three uh, Israelites into the fiery furnace. The biggest god in the Babylonian era was like the god of fire. Oh. So God might preserve them in the fire is kind of like saying like this god he worship him much. I always think about the um, statue of Dagon. Mm -hmm. When uh, yeah. the, the he's falling over. Hmm? Yeah, he keeps falling over, and then he's, oh, his nice. head is uh, cut off, his hands are cut off um, when the ark is in. Was that, was that the Babylonian? Or that was the Philistine? That's Philistine. Philistine. Okay. We'll be talking about that next yeah. week a little bit. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. Um, so here's our. Uh, th this is one of those rules that we talked about for interpreting the Ten Commandments. What are the duties required in the First Commandment? So, this is um, this is a negative commandment, not negative in a bad way, but don't do this, right? But we see there are positive duties required. So, what are the duties required in the First Commandment? Worship. Worship. Okay, what kind of worship? Worship the one. Okay. Alone. Alone. Good. As the one true God. As, okay. Good. Yeah. So it's it's uh, right, rightly ordered worship to the right person, um, to the exclusion of any other people. Um, it makes me think about the Shema, the Shema, Deuteronomy six, uh, four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the greatest commandment. So, wholehearted devotion to the Lord by faith in His Word. Can you do that? Not alone. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, we have to have the Holy Spirit of Jesus to do that. Yes, good. And then we can't do it wholly until our next estate. Yes, good. Um, so, is this law then, is this commandment um, a burden to you? No, why not? Because Christ fulfilled the burden of the law. Exactly. So, 
Christ fulfilled the first commandment perfectly on our behalf, like question 97 uh, talked about. He fulfilled it. He endured the curse for our breaking it um, for our good. So how did Christ fulfill the positive duties required in the first commandment? He worshiped the Father. He worshiped the Father. Good. Perfectly. Perfectly. Good. Over and over again, in the Gospel of John in particular, his motive for doing everything he does is to glorify the Father. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Okay, so Christ, because Christ fulfilled the first commandment uh, on our behalf and endured the curse that we should have incurred uh, for breaking it, we are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit um, and progressive sanctification to uh, increase, to grow in grace in fulfilling the first commandment. Okay, so, and, and that's the, the positive duties. No, what about the, the sins forbidden? This is question 105. What are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? Idolatry. Good. What is idolatry? Uh, we were talking about worshiping things uh, other than God. Okay. Worshiping things or people or anything other than God. Good. The The answer to the question 105 is very long um, and, and, and good. They talk about uh, one of the sins forbidden is atheism. What does it mean to it's be an atheist? It is the very first thing mentioned. What is... What does it mean to be an atheist? Deny the existence of God. Okay. Deny uh, that there is a God yeah. or that God is uh, who he says he is. Okay. What are some other things that are forbidden? Uh, they talk about idolatry. Wait, wait, wait. Excuse me. Are you sure that the second one is a formal definition of no. atheism? No. Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't totally remember what I said, but you I'm said sure you're correct. You to deny that God is who he said he is. Yes, if yeah, that would not be. Yes, then you just right. deny the existence correct. of any God, period, right? Yes, thank you. I, w- I would say, based on Romans 1, second thing is part of the answer of what an atheist is. Because mm-hmm. we're not talking about a generic deity that, you know, that person says, well, there's just no, no God at all. No, no, yeah. Romans 1, you know... God exists, and you don't know just a general God exists, you know the only God that is, you know that he exists, and you suppress that truth and unrighteousness, and you exchange the truth of God for a lie, you deny the creator, it is much more uh, offensive, uh, that's why, you know, the fool says in his heart there is no God, uh, there's only one God with whom we have to do, and that is the triune God, and so atheism at bottom denies that the triune God exists, so he denies that one says who he is who has revealed himself in creation and in scripture is not. Yeah. Woe to him. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> two chapters, two and a half That's chapters of Romans, right? And it's yes. not just Jews, it's Gentiles. Mm-hmm. It's not just Gentiles, it's Jews as well. They're denying this very God. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so so there's atheism, there's idolatry, uh, there's Ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy thoughts, wicked thoughts, bold and curious searching into his secrets. Very interesting, right? What was that? Bold and curious searching into his secrets. Is it Deuteronomy 29, 29? 
The secret things belong to God. But the things that are revealed, that have been revealed, are for you and your children. So there are things uh, about God that we are not to know and will not know. Um, and it goes on, right? But how did Christ avoid the sins forbidden in the first commandment? We talked about how he fulfilled the duty of wholehearted devotion to the Lord. How did he avoid the sins forbidden in the first commandment? Submitted his will entirely to God. Mm -hmm. I think of the garden. Yeah, the garden, certainly. Um, he had the power within himself to not go through with it, right? He, the, at the word of his power, uh, who are you looking for? Jesus, I am he. And that, like, what, 500 Roman, battle-hardened Roman soldiers fall to the ground in full armor? Um, okay. What was the start of Jesus' public ministry? We're talking about the temptation. Yeah. Over yeah, the temptation. What was that a temptation to? Worship God. Yeah, worshiping or even just relying on Satan to fulfill his earthly needs. He's really hungry. To fulfill his own needs. Yeah. He was hungry. Yeah, he was hungry. He was thirsty. Um, even. Uh, the temptation to, to cast himself off the building because the angels would come, uh, that was a temptation to rely on himself apart from the, the rest of the Trinity. So he avoids that sin. He avoids uh, going his own way in the garden. And you can see you know, other examples in there. But similarly to how Christ fulfilled all of the positive duties on our behalf, he also avoided all of the sins forbidden on our behalf. And like we said, again, he took the curse for our uh, not fulfilling the positive duties. And he took the curse for our uh, commission of the sins forbidden. All right. The last question uh, in the catechism that we'll talk about is, is number 106. It says, what are we specially taught by the words before me in the first commandment? So, you shall have no other gods before me. What is that? It's a preposition, right? Before me. Whom you honor more than me. Okay, that could be it. Yes? Before my face. Yes, so what is... Oh, okay, so great. The, 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 this is from... Reforms of Smack Theology, as you probably expect it. Uh, the phrase translated as before me does not refer to giving other gods a higher priority to, than the Lord, but it means to my face or in my sight. So what does that mean? Uh, do you agree with that or not? Uh, how does that change your understanding of the first commandment? So it, it is one of priority, yeah. but the word can mean in my presence. Mm -hmm. So if we remember that God is omnipresent, yes. right. then there is no place, because in the background here is that this idea of henotheism. So there's the acknowledgement of other gods but you only worship one God, the one of your locale, of your region. And when you go to Moab, then you're going to worship that God. God's saying, no, I, I'm everywhere. So there's no place where I'm not. There are no other gods. So don't bring them into my creation mm -hmm. before my throne. Yeah. Because they're going to, like Dagon, find themselves headless. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and this, this kind of gets to what you were saying earlier, Keith. Right? We... 
I think sometimes we think, okay, uh, we can't have any other gods before the true God. Uh, and if that means only priority, then maybe if I give 50% of my worship to the true God, 30% to my family, 20% to my work, or whatever you know, the ratio is, I'm good because God is still, I'm still worshiping God the majority, you know, more than anything else. But it's, if it's before my face or in my sight, and we know that God sees everything, God knows everything, then, and everything takes place in God's sight, then any time we have a God, whatever the ratio is, if it's 1% something other than God and 99% God, that is what is forbidden, right? There's a, a quote from Calvin, he says, this is like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes. Um, so again, the, the, the issue is not just placing something above God or worshiping something or someone more than you worship God, although that is wrong, obviously. But it's worshiping anything else other than God at any time. Um, and that doesn't just mean worship. You know, I probably... None of us are, are praying to our spouse or praying to our children or praying to our job. But like Keith was saying, we're, we're giving our time. We're, giving, we're, we're putting our trust in our job to provide for us. We're um, caring about what people think about our kids or our marriage or, or whatever, more than we care about what God, um, what God has told us to do. So the last question this is our, just a restatement of the question to consider. Um, and it's a leading question. I should have just copied and pasted it. But um, can we see Christ in the preface to the Ten Commandments and in the First Commandment? Yes, sir. I see some nods. Yes, okay, so how? How do we see, how and where do we see Christ in the preface and in the First Commandment? Their own confession or catechism says, Christ is the only Redeemer, God's love. Christ's words himself said, I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. Right? You're the Father, not me. That, you know, there's, a, there's a disconnect there. Then yeah. not worshiping me and the Father as one, mm-hmm. then you're not worshiping the true God. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, okay, so, so you're talking about the unity of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just if you have any other gods above the Father, right. if you have any other gods, if you're trusting in anything for salvation or, or whatever, other than Christ, and we're breaking the first name. Good. Christ is the Word of God. These are the words of God. Okay. What about, we, we talked about Christ's fulfilling of the Ten Commandments specifically his fulfilling of the first commandment. Um, how does that give you hope that Christ has fulfilled the first commandment on your behalf and endured the curses for your breaking of the first commandment? How does it give us hope? Well, yes. I know that I cannot fulfill mm-hmm. the first commandment. Mm-hmm. And so what my, is that? Of my, my, my own power. Absolutely. Things throughout my life will pull me in all sorts of different directions. Sure. And what does that knowledge 
do? Or what does that knowledge cause you to do? Rejoice. Rejoice? Why? Because rejoice in what? Yeah, and then because of that, you are enabled in some small, hopefully, and uh, in a progressively greater manner to fulfill it. Right? Uh, good. Yeah, Christ fulfilled. He he uh, positively kept the commands, uh, the duties required in the first commandment. He negatively avoided the sins forbidden in the first commandment on your behalf. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like what Paul said, the the burden of obedience is not on you. You are not, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, is not a carnal commandment. You are not required to fulfill it for your justification. And you are not, if, if you are in Christ, you are not required to fulfill it for your justification. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned because of your breaking of it. What about the preface? How do we see Christ in the preface to the Ten Commandments? You know, earlier you talked about the personal possessive pronoun, your. We know that he is, we are only his because of Christ. We are only adopted as his sons and daughters because of Christ's work on our behalf on the cross. Yeah. Absolutely. The Ten Commandments was given, kind of like, like Paul said, by a loving father to his children as the rule of life. For us to obey, um, and he it was given to us because he is our God, because he is our covenant Lord. He is everyone's sovereign Lord, but he is our he is his children's covenant Lord. Christ is their covenant Lord. Um, Christ is their older brother. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and um, so that gives us hope. Even though we know that we cannot keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and that knowledge drives us to more gratefulness, to more thankfulness to Christ for keeping it on our behalf, and it also uh, gives us peace and hope, um, knowing that it's not—it's not ours. It, we are not uh, either justified or condemned in keeping it. Anything else anybody wants to say about this lesson? Yeah, I'll just say you know, one final thing to kind of connect it with what we do every um, Sabbath morning in worship. Um, the Lord's Supper should also remind us of this preamble mm -hmm. that the Lord our God has called us uh, out of bondage and slavery. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminding, it's a reminder to us uh, that we have been called out of bondage. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an actual strengthening that's happening by the Spirit for us to obey what the Lord has called us to do. And so uh, I think it's an honor and a very beautiful thing that we get to do this every Sunday, uh, that the Lord, uh, that Christ instituted this for our behalf, uh, not only to remind us, but to strengthen us. And so just tying it back to the Ten Commandments, because we, we all know that we're very tempted, maybe later, on Sunday afternoon or throughout the week, you know, just as Israel made the golden calf a few chapters down the road. Um, so, yeah, just an encouragement as you all.
partake of repentance. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Anything else? Okay. Uh, next week, talk about the second commandment. Um, can we get someone to close us in prayer as we prepare for worship?